Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to read a few scriptures to you. And then I'm going to preach on in this thing. Ephesians 1 Verses 9 through 10. It says, And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us. The hidden mystery, his long-range plan, which he was destined to implement from the beginning of time. And because God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all ages finally reaches climax when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Drop on down to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9. Paul writing again to the church of Ephesus, or, He says, my passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. It was hidden for the ages past until now, kept in secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. To the purpose of this was, for the purpose of this was to unveil before even the throne, every throne, rank, and angelic order in the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. This perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal age and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ so that now we have boldness through him, free access as kings. Somebody shout kings before the Father because of his complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 20, reading out of the Message Bible, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead, set him on a throne deep in heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. In charge of running everything, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to government, no name, no power, exempt from his rule, and not just for this time being, but forever, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything, and at the center of this, Christ rules, watch this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks, acts, and by which he fills everything with his presence. I come to talk to you about the fact that the church is unstoppable. This is important for us to really understand. See, Paul is dropping this revelation bomb on the saints of Ephesus. He's not writing to theologians, he is not writing to seminarians. 
He's not writing those that are into the deep truths of God. Paul is trying to elevate the saints of Ephesus. He's trying to elevate their understanding and their revelation of who the church is and what God intends for the church to become. You see, Paul is revealing this. Apparently up to this point, no one understood. Not even in the realms of the spirit. Not even in the realms of principalities and powers. No one understood what God had been up to. But then God gave the revelation to the apostle Paul. And now he's letting the, he's letting the saints of Ephesus know the church is no longer hidden. The mystery that was in the heart of God is now revealed. And that is that God has designed his church to dispense everywhere his fullness everywhere it is that they would spread all over the world penetrating the heavenlies and demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God as a maturing confronting warring body of Christ extending the rule of Christ over all evil he's letting them into his heart see God kept it close to his heart. God kept it secret from thousands of years as it began to develop in his own heart. See, Paul seems to be trying, and this is my purpose this morning, is to elevate the vision that the saints had for God's intended purpose for the church. This is important. It's always important that you have a correct vision because when you have a correct vision, of something, it creates value. Paul wanted to make sure that they were misstepping in their understanding and imitating the church by their own vision. He wanted them to know that God already had a vision. The church is a manifestation of the vision of God. It's because you have the right vision. You understand why something even exists. You understand then what the purpose of it is and the, interp- the, the, the intended purpose by its creation then and now it takes on value. See, we're losing the value of the church in our nation. I'm going to preach fast, but walk with me. We're losing the value where the church is being marginalized, not just from outside, but from inside. We act like it ain't no big deal, that it's just another thing in the earth that we can wrap our religious sensibilities around. But I come to tell you, the church is the mystery. It's a secret thing hidden in the very heart of God. You can't just take it and leave it. See, vision creates value. Not only does vision create value, but value creates velocity. Once you understand why something exists and how it works and why you have it and what it's supposed to do, it takes on momentum, speed, velocity. is how fast you can get from A to B. See, if you don't understand, if you don't have the proper vision, if you don't understand the vision of God for the church, then you won't value the church. And if you don't value the church, it moves along very slowly. Somebody shout vision. 
Paul was making sure they had a correct vision. And I believe it's so important in 2022. In fact, I believe it's imperative that we understand the church is an unstoppable force. When the dust clears and everything is said and done, the church will still be standing. You see, the church can thrive without America. But America cannot thrive without the church. To misunderstand the power and the glory and the divine purpose of God that he has placed within the church and that he is moving us along. When I consider the state of America and the conditions of the nations, I sense a prophetic word, a prophetic edge on the words of a believer named Gamaliel. He was a Jewish rabbi. He had witnessed the ministry of Jesus and he was aware of all the reports of his resurrection, watching hundreds of followers, thousands really, turning to Jesus almost every day. He stood on the ruling council when the Jewish leaders asked the iconic question concerning the, the apostles is what do we do with these men? See, religion doesn't know what to do with the revival remnant. Secular culture doesn't know what to do with the revival remnant. Hold on, because what God is getting ready to reveal and do in and through his church has not been seen yet, and they're not going to know what to do with us. You see, they can't take our wealth because it is stored up in heaven. They can't take our freedom because whom the Son says free is free indeed. They can't take away our happiness because our joy is within us. They can't defeat us because we are more than conquerors. Uh, they can't keep us silent because the gospel cannot be chained. And they can't kill us because we already have eternal life. They don't know what to do with the church. They don't know what to do with you. In chapter 5 of Acts, they were going through this discussion, what do we do with these men? And Gamaliel counseled them. And he said, for if this plan or undertaking originates with man, it will fade away and come to nothing. But if this movement is of God, you won't be able to stop it. 
And then went on and talked about how the, 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 the apostles left after they had been whipped for the cause of Christ. He said they were thrilled that God considered them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And in verse 12, it says, and nothing stopped them. Nothing stopped them. I have come to tell you that the church is unstoppable. Again, Gamaliel was right. 2,000 years later, and the ministry of Jesus through his church is still as strong as it has ever been. It is unstoppable. See, Jesus had already prophesied it. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, he prophesied it. That's not a promise. That's a prophecy. Jesus said, if I build it, it's going to stand forever. The gates of hell will not even be able to stop it. The ecclesia is unstoppable. This legislative assembly, this body of selected ones. Ecclesia, we know, we know here well, it's not a religious term, it's a governmental term. It means to summon and gather those to govern the affairs of a city. Our government only thinks they're in charge. But if the church will take her place, if the church will take her place, See, just because you're a church doesn't mean you're an ecclesia. But if a church will take her place, stand in her God-given authority, and take authority over the kingdoms and the realms that we are dealing with today, we would see that the church is prevailing. There is no power of darkness that can stop the advancing church that Jesus is building. The church is unstoppable, but you say, why? Because the church is not of human origin. The church doesn't depend on economies and elections. The church is the very work of God. And everything that God does, he does it through his church. This is the revelation we need to get back in the church because we think God just does stuff. No, God does stuff through his eternal plan. It's what he is going to do through his church. He's heard, well, he is committed to his church because he has committed his church to an eternal plan that God has already set in motion. Are y'all with me? This is why I can stand behind this pulpit today and I can declare over the church of America, you shall not die, but you shall live and declare the works of the Lord. I declare it over the church of America. You shall not die, but you shall live and you shall declare the works of the Lord. The church is unstoppable because God is unstoppable. This church, this ecclesia, this, it's been locked up in the very heart of God. Our Bible says in Acts 2.1, and I'm going there because that's the birthday of the church. This is when this mystery, this is when this hidden thing came alive. Acts 2.1, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come. This is what I want us to understand deep, deep in the DNA of the church. It's the sovereignty of God. It cannot be stopped. 
because it rests in the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? That means God's not random. God is strategic. Maybe there's a reason that God keeps, keeps speaking to us about his sovereignty and his strategy. I believe it is because of the magnitude of chaos that is manifesting on the earth and that is coming on this people planet. You see, if you don't have a real revelation of God's sovereign rule, then you will think that he has surrendered his sovereignty and chaos is in control. But I've come to tell you it is not. It may look like it is. It may look messy. It may look lopus. It may look like God took his hands off this thing, but God would never take his hands off his plan so sovereignty just means God is strategic it means God rules over human history he has shaped history of the nations to achieve purpose God's plans are not random they are preordained in time. Someone, when you talk about time, we got to talk about a little bit quickly Kronos and Kairos because I know most of us know Kronos and Kairos, but we got to know Kronos is, is the quantity of time. Kronos is the measurement of time. It's clocks, it's calendars, it's, it's, it's minutes. That's Kronos. Kairos is the quality of time. Kairos is, is about how you measure moments. It's what takes place in a moment. It's when something is not marked by what time it is, but it's marked by what happened in that time. Why don't we need to know this? Because we understand then that God sits in eternity and he sits and his plan is set in Kronos. His plan is not going to be halted by, 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 uh, uh, by uh, Kronos, but it's there, but it's locked into Kairos, and it's locked into Kairos. Somebody defined Kairos as this, is a passing moment when an opening appears that must be driven through by force. In other words, it means when the sovereign plan of God starts pushing out of heaven into earth, there's somebody that's got to be able to pull that time, pull that plan into time, out of eternity, into time. God ordained times have been throughout history, Kronos, but, they, but, but, but what I'm talking about are right times, appointed times, the fullness of times. The scripture is full of it. This when time is marked by past, present, and future, Kronos, but I'm talking about Kairos, Galatians 4 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born uh, under the, uh, a woman under the but of a woman under the law. Mark 1:15. Watch this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So this is what we have to understand. Time is pregnant with prophetic purpose. Kairos moments are, are made sure by God. They're made so Jesus was born at the right time. He died at the right time. He was resurrected at the right time. He ascended at the right time. He poured out his spirit at the right time. 
the church was born in the earth at the right time. And let me just take it deeper. You were born at the right time. God looked down in time itself and saw there's somebody I gotta have alive in that time. You are not an accident. You have been locked in to God's purpose. God isn't messed up. He's got the right people in the earth at the right time. He's got the right church in the earth at the right time. God didn't mess. We're here for such a time as this. So on the day of Pentecost had come to the fullness of time. See, Pentecost was a strategic moment. God knew he would give birth to maximum impact. See, the church is created for maximum impact. See, to understand, to understand sovereignty, you have to understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the invisible realm of God's glory and authority. It's a kingdom. It's a realm. It's a domain. Within it, God rules. He reigns. It's his place. This is his place of authority. The church is not the kingdom. But the church is the visible expression of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is the realm of God's glory and authority. Which means that the church, this organically formed body of believers, is the visible expression of God's glory and authority. You want to know how the kingdom is doing in the earth? Look at the church. You want to know how the sovereignty of God is doing in the earth? Look at the church. It's the visible expression of the kingdom. If the church takes its place and understands and brings themselves under the submission of the king and begins to walk out the kingdom life and the kingdom protocol, then the church will become visibly seen by the world or the kingdom will become visibly seen by the world. You can't see the kingdom without the church. Are y'all with me? So I'm talking about the sovereignty of God. So God releases his invisible rule into a visible church. We are his hands. We are his feet. This, this is important to understand sovereignty. Because if you don't understand sovereignty, you think somehow we're not going to be able to pull this thing off. But I have come to tell you God has a remnant. And God's going to pull his plan off. Yes? So deep, deep, deep in the heart of God, deep in the heart of the church, deep in the DNA of the church, the sovereignty, it cannot be stopped. But not only that, you see supplication. Our Bible says in Acts 1-4 that they all continue to one accord and in prayer and supplication. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the day of Pentecost. I'm talking about the birthing of the sovereignty of God into the earth. 
What brought forth the plan of God? The prayer and the supplication of the saints. Walk with me. See, Pentecost, I've already said, was a strategic moment. They were all continuing in prayer and supplication. We know that they had been there for sure for 10 days. For 10 days, they gathered in one accord, in one mind, in prayer and supplication, in prayer and supplication. They, they, they didn't know how long it was going to be. All they knew is that Jesus said, I need you to go wait there. And one, one wait there until you receive power from on high. Wait there until you see something supernatural and you see something that has never been on this earth before. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what to look for. They just knew the comforter was coming. They just knew they were supposed to wait there and be clothed with power from on high. They weren't supposed to do anything until they got the power, anything. And so they begin to cry out. They begin to cry out, and they begin to cry out in prayer and supplications. You see, you have to understand this. They were crying out for something uh, that the world had never seen before, something that had never touched the world before. And God chose the medium that would reach into his sovereign plan and pull it into time, that would be the supplication of the saints. See, when they got up in that upper room, that began a 10-day countdown. They didn't know that, but heaven was counting down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, supplicating, crying out. There's got to be more. There's something else coming. Don't stop. Keep crying. We're not stopping yet. Keep crying. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And the heavens opened and the glory came down. It was a cry. A deep heart cry. Supplication is different than almost any other prayer. See, supplication is a, is, is a need with a voice on it. You can't supplicate quietly. Because supplication is intense. Supplication is something that pours out of my need. Not a want, a need. I heard somebody say that desperation is a great initiator, but not a very good sustainer. I don't agree with that because I believe it is the desperate cry that keeps yanking on the sovereign plan of God. And that every time he gets ready to do something he's never done before in the earth, he raises a spirit of supplication in a body of believers that know how to get up under the spirit of supplication and begin to have a raw cry, not because we want it, but because we need it. See, if you just want his presence, you can be casual about it. If you would just like to have revival, you can be casual about it. But when it is a desperate cry of your soul, it becomes intense. It becomes powerful. It becomes loud. You don't care, blind Bartimaeus, who's in your way. They said, be quiet. Be quiet. Oh, no, I hear him coming. The son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, I don't just need you. I I am desperate. 
You want to know why we've been in this thing for seven years? Because there's a body of hungry people in this house that know how to cry out with a cry of desperation. We would have been done a long time ago if we would have been satisfied for what we wanted, but desired to press into what we wanted. Somebody shout yes. It's an intense thing. It's an intentional thing. It's contending for the promise. See, supplication is the prayer that's fueled by desperation. Supplication is not when you just come to him with a good idea. It's when you crawl up into the lap of God and he begins to speak to you his secrets. This is really what I want to do in the earth right now. But you get desperate about it. See, this is, this is how the saints pull on the sovereignty. This is how you bring it out of heaven into earth. It's through supplication. I'm learning that supplication is about increasing our spiritual capacity to steward God, what God's purposes require. See, every time God gets ready to do something he's never done before, and I'm believing as we move out of seven into eight, we're going to see God do some things he's never done before. Then we must understand how to steward what he's getting ready to release through our supplication. Yes? But also something I'm learning about supplication is that supplication provokes the supernatural. Because deep in the DNA of the church is this thing called supernatural. The upper room was a catalyst for the supernatural. See, we're used to it, but they were not. We know what to expect. They did not. Heavens opened wider on that day. And the wind blew harder. And the fire burned hotter. And the sound got louder. Supernatural phenomena of the Spirit. Supernatural. The supernatural is a sustainer of revival. We have been praying and we have been believing for greater realms of the supernatural. I don't know about you, but I am committed to the supernatural. I'm committed to having a supernatural church. I'm committed to having the manifestations of the supernatural in and through the church. I'm committed to the supernatural. Why? Because every generation needs an encounter with God. This is imperative that we understand this. You see, if you want to understand the supernatural, then first thing you got to understand that the supernatural healings and deliverances was a major part of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And everybody's running around and saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. But they forgot it. One of his most profound attributes is that he was a minister of the supernatural. That everywhere he went, he healed the sick and he cast out devils. Everywhere he went, he preached with power. Everywhere he went, he shook cities. 
His normal response to broken humanity was, I'll heal your pain. I'll heal your suffering. I'll heal your brokenness. I'll heal you in your mind. I'll heal you in your body. I'll heal you in your spirit. I will make you whole more than anything else. He was a vessel of the supernatural. I don't want signs and wonders and miracles because I'm Pentecostal. I want them because I want to reveal Jesus. We understand the supernatural has always played an important role in the revival movements. And you jump back to supplication. And supplication is the quality of prayer that creates the environment that launches supernatural ministry. Somebody somewhere is praying and stuff is happening. And that stuff is supernatural stuff. Because somebody supplicated. You know what I love about the supernatural is the supernatural is strategic in the the fact that it defeats and it overcomes the strategies of Satan's kingdom. I'm trying to let you know I am committed to the supernatural. When God heals and sets the captive free through the church, it defeats and overthrows the kingdom of darkness. It's the church displaying the kingdom of God. It's the supernatural ministry of breakthroughs, the supernatural. But I also am convinced that the supernatural is the best apologetic for Gen X. They're not wanting a better explanation of God. They're wanting a divine demonstration of God. They want to hear him, yes, but they want to see him show up. I believe it is an apologetic of the supernatural that's going to shake this generation. I believe it right all my heart that God's getting ready to raise up a generation of fire and anointing and hands anointed. They're going to not be afraid to walk into hospitals and raise up the sick. They're not going to be afraid to pray over the broken, to pray over the destitute. And they will certainly not be afraid of demons of darkness, but they will tell them to get up and get out and get on. I'm telling you, God is raising up a generation that does not fear the supernatural, but fears to live with without it. Almost done. I got an article. It's been a while. For a few weeks, the Lord has been really pushing me about this. And I've just been trying to work it out to get it my mind, to wrap my mind around it. So there are those that are considered church experts concerning the condition of the church today and how it relates to culture. Now I just want to read a little paragraph here. This is to understand the disappearing influence of Christian of Christians. To understand the disappearing influence of Christians in America, one must realize the church has been marginalized. The church has lost its social location at the center of culture. In contrast with the long history of Christians, the Christian church in the West, congregations, that's y'all, must now learn how to live 
the gospel as a distinct people, like distinct, like there ain't many of you around anymore. Distinct people who are no longer at the cultural center. These are church, you know, know it all guys. They go on to say, the local church no longer has a centralized role in American society. Essentially, the surrounding culture changed their view of the value of the church. I'm just trying to see if I want to read some more. Oh, this, 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 Christians need to realize, y'all need to realize this, that the way we have been functioning for so long is outdated. There are no longer even, we are no longer even near the center of society, and there is little hope of returning to such a place. He says this, being a Christian has been reduced to the expectation of niceness. How pathetic, how boring, how easy, how insignificant. Who would want to be associated with a church like that? One more paragraph. The diminishing influence of the American church on American society is, is not simply because there are fewer people going to church. But fewer people are going to church because of the diminishing influence of Christ on the church. Wow. I thought, what? The diminishing influence of the American church on American society is not simply because fewer people are going to church, but fewer people are going to church because of the diminishing influence of Christ on the church. The church at best fell asleep. It might be fair to say that we have lost the power to transform culture. We accommodated to the culture that was for us secret sensitive. We did not lose America. We gave her away. I got mixed emotions about this article. I got mixed emotions because it's telling us that we are no longer valued by our culture. That when culture looks at us, they view that what we have to offer is no longer relevant to them. Because we decided years ago that somehow we needed acceptance from culture to win culture. And if I have learned anything, I understand that there is a high price to accommodation. There is a high price to acceptance. We have worked so hard to become respectable. We have worked so hard to position ourselves at the center of culture. And now they look at us and they push us to the edge and say, we don't need you anymore. You add nothing to our culture. You add nothing to our nation. They tell us this is the position of the church. This is where the church is. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, we've got to find a way to get back to the center. 
We've got to find a way to get back to the center. We've got to find a way. Lord, how are we going to bring reformation if we don't get back to the center of culture? But see what we don't understand and maybe what we have forgotten or maybe we do and we just don't care. That somewhere along the way, the church as a whole, we have created a spiritual vacuum in our nation. We have created where, where, where hungry people come to the house of God, but we have lost our ability to create an environment that brings encounter. Therefore, when they come to the house of God, they don't value what's going on because what's going on has no bearing upon their life. Oh my God, I can't get no help up in here. I'm talking about the supernatural. When you take the supernatural out of the church, it has nothing to offer culture. And so they move you to the side. The very thing up. The very thing that they need, we gave up. I'm talking about the fact that the church is unstoppable. You need to understand God's getting ready to manifest in a supernatural powerful way. Right now he's just looking for some people that are desperate enough to cry out until we pull it out of heaven into the earth. Okay, so, so this, this is where it gets, it gets a little crazy uh, trying to wrap my mind around it because I heard the Holy Spirit say, no, you don't need to go back to the center. The center is where you gave everything up. He says where you need to be is on the edge. Just, I know it sounds crazy, but just walk with me. You need to be on the edge. Actually, culture has demanded of us to go back to be what they've always knew we were supposed to be. They said when you go back, see, there was a time when the church was on the edge. There was a time when they laughed at us and mocked us, and we were broke, busted, and disgusted. We didn't have our nice buildings. We weren't in the right side of the tracks. We didn't have the things that all the other churches had, but we had the Holy Ghost, and we had power from on high. We were on the edge. They looked at us and raised up their noses and said, you are nobody. But when they got sick, they know where to go. When they had demon-possessed kids, they know where to go. But we bought into the lie and got acceptable and lost our power. See, that is the cost of accommodation. It's the diminishing presence of Jesus. But I want to be in the center of culture. This is what we have to learn to do. This blew my mind. Is we have to learn to engage culture from the edge. I'm not saying we hide away. I'm not saying we don't go into the world. Absolutely we go into the world. But we have to understand the kingdom of God. Okay. Remember that scripture read out of Ephesians, the peripheral of the church is not peripheral to the world, what's peripheral to the church? Remember that? Okay, walk with me, watch this. You got the center of culture. Or at least they think they are, but they're not. You got the church is the center of the kingdom. You see, the enemy wants to make us think that we are on the outside looking in. But we aren't. 
When it comes to God and the plan of God and the plan of the ages, which involves revival, awakening, and reformation. The world says, hey, you guys, you Christians, you're on the outside looking in. We don't need you. No, 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 no. We're on the inside looking out. And we're coming after you. God is working a plan through his church. And he's getting ready to release a supernatural power again into his church. Hey, it doesn't matter if they like us. They will respect us. Are you getting that? That blew my mind away. Trying to get back to the center. He said, you know what? You are the center. Everything God does rotates around the church. We are the center. We are the active ones. You want to change government? You can't change it by getting in there and being all crazy. You've got to carry the glory and the kingdom ram on top of you. Look at me, because when you're slapped up in the kingdom, then there's going to be peace and joy and righteousness all around you. When you're in the kingdom, it's the rule and the authority and the reign of God's power all around you. You see, when you walk in the kingdom, you walk in healing, you walk in health, you walk in deliverance, you walk in financial blessing and provision, all that stuff. And they're over here in the culture that's full of chaos and has no peace, has no joy, has no hope, has no financial future and they look over there on the edge and there's glory and there's power and there's anointing there's a church full of power everybody get up on your feet and shout yes somebody shout the edge Revivalists are their best when things are at their worst. The supernatural, the actual manifestation, the actual manifestation of the supernatural moves us and has always moved us to the edge. But I'm going to tell you, some, oh man, I don't know about that supernatural stuff. I think we might get a little crazy. Believe me, we're far, far, far. <sighs> From that happening. So I looked up the, uh, looked up the definition for edge. You know what it means? It's the furthest place away from the center of something. It is the sharpened side of a blade or a weapon. The edge. When you say edge, it means you have the advantage that makes you strong. You have the edge. So culture has pushed us to the edge not understanding the whole time they're doing that. They're recentering the church for revival, 
awakening and reformation. Only God can think of that. Only God can think of that. I told you we don't need their acceptance. But they will respect the supernatural. When it's real, they'll respect it. So revival recenters the church. I want you to get this revelation. We are not barely hanging on. We're not crying out for Jesus to come because we're getting beat up. It's really getting bad out there. That's because it's getting bad so we can be good. It's getting dark so we can be that light that shines in a perverse generation. I know, and it was even yesterday at the men's, the men's man up, the spirit of supplication just came into the room. And I watched as the men of God just got up under the weight of supplication. It's powerful. see between the sovereignty and the supernatural is this key this key piece of supplication we can never lose our raw cry we can never lose the fact that we need him and our country needs him because it's time to take it back And there are great minds that have great ideas, but they won't be able to take it back unless the church finds that place of supplication. And then God can take anybody he wants to and use them to turn. They will become like masterful, hopeful puppets in the hand of God. If the church will never stop, pray. So I thought where we need to end today is we need to go deeper. We need to go deeper up under the spirit of supplication. We need church to allow God to teach us how to cry out, how to crawl up in his lap and hear this deep secrets that he has for us, our families, our church, our nation and begin to echo those back into the realms of heaven that heaven will shake and begin to open and give birth to the sovereign plan of God. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.